You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out. Australian Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. We've got a very special guest. Obviously, all our guests are special. If they're not special, why would I bother talking to them? But today we have a man with four names, Mr. Robert Eugene Clive Brooks, commonly known as Bob Brooks. Hello, Bob. Hello, Joe, good morning. Yes, it is. Good morning. No, it's not morning. It's not afternoon. Who knows what time it is on Radical Australia? We never, we never have a time. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, because see, the program's podcast uh, after yes. it's broadcast, and it means it's yeah. there for all eternity, Bob. So, yeah. we, if there's any good parts, uh, you can use it for your funeral. What do you reckon? What what funeral, Joe? <laughs> What do you mean? You're not going to have a funeral, Bob? No, I'm here for good. Oh. I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to. Yeah, I've got a special arrangement. I can stay as long as I like. Yeah. Right. So you're actually God. You're not Jesus Christ, as he died on the cross. No, no, I'm another different again. I I haven't thought of a name yet, but I'm working (laughs) on it. How about the Brooks? We can call you the Brooks. The Brooks faction. Now, Bob, on a more serious note, I asked two questions during this interview. Yes. Uh, the uh, that's all. And you've got fifty-six minutes to answer them, and there's no community announcements. There's no uh, ads. Good. Um, what year were you born? Nineteen thirty-eight. Nineteen thirty-eight. Mm. Yes. That's a long time ago, Bob. It's a long it time is. ago. It is. Uh, what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? That's a hard question to answer, but I, I do think I do think I was very close to my mother. She was a very, very warm person, and I remember her years later, later saying how she loved babies. And I have a brother two years and three months older than me, and he was... Uh, he was 
uh, more shy and reserved, and I think he wasn't as close right. as Mum and I were, and I think I might be... I don't know how much I'm kidding myself, but that's what I think is... Remember the warmth of, of security, the feeling of good feeling of when I was with with my mum, and I mm -hmm. know I was breastfed, and I think mm -hmm. I was. Um, um, I don't know. Again, I can't remember, but I think when a, a, my next a sister came, at a year and nine months, and I had to move over, I think I probably wasn't. That was probably the first or the biggest shock of my life up to that day, having to move away, move over and make room for my sister. Um, is, your, is your brother still alive, your older brother? No, he was 80 and two months and he died um, right. two years ago right. or something like that. And, and your sister, is she still alive? I've got four younger sisters, all two right. years apart roughly, except that the youngest one is three years after the next one so they're all alive and they're all fairly well for their age we all we're all very fortunate we had a very good start i think we had good parents and i think it makes right. such a difference right. well tell us about your mother first and then tell us about your father right um my mother was um uh Scottish and Irish, uh, Scottish on the father's side, um, Irish on the mother's side. Um, and my, yes, um, it was, well, it's another story, but it was just good fortunate that, that my mum met my dad because they weren't, they weren't in Melbourne um, and... Uh, a bit of a story, it's an interesting story how they got together and for our eternal good fortune mum and mum was 31 um, when they married and then she managed to have six kids I think why there was a the gap at the end was the I think there was a miscarriage because at that stage she was 40 I don't know, 45 mm -hmm. I have to work it out in yeah. 1947 anyway, the last the last of the six of us was born in March 47. Mm. Um, so anyway, yep. she was a good mother. I know that she was. She was out of, as far as I'm concerned. She was mm. special, very special. Mm -hmm. And what was her name? Marjorie. Marjorie Murdoch. Marjorie, Marjorie right. Murdoch. Yeah. Right. And, and your dad? What was he like? Um, he was a quiet, reserved Englishman who, whose father died before Dad was born. Uh, he was a, a captain. It was a funny thing. He was a captain in the British Army, which means they would have bought, um, bought they bought him a commission. I think he, you don't earn that by by hard work or whatever. He he. Um, Board a commission. He was six years younger than Mama, Mum, mm -hmm. and they were very different. Um, uh, but luckily for us, they uh, they clicked. And um, she, as I said, she was thirty-one when they married, and she, so she she had a pretty quiet life. Oh, her mother died when 
when she was only three or four, so she had a very quiet life um, in Melbourne. And then when she married Dad, um, things certainly changed, and she was a busy girl from then on for for quite a lot of years. But anyway, he was mm. a he was a very reserved, um, very well spoken, um, very English. So he came, they met in Australia, didn't they? You said it was an interesting meeting. Yes, he meeting. came to live here by himself when he was 20. He had um, the, the firm Brooks Robinson Hardware and Painting and Paints and stuff in Melbourne. He was related to those Brooks. Um, he was a, a younger version of the founder of that uh, company in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and when he came here, he worked there for a while and he was totally unsuited, I'm sure, to that that sort of work. And somehow he got some money together and he had a little orange grove at Barham, and that's how they met. Um, because Mum had a, um, a sister at um, Mullamine, and the sister in Merlamine was older and had, she had uh, four boys and two girls, I don't know the order, but mm-hmm. mum had, the other way around, mum had um, uh, two boys and four girls. And the reason mum was in Merlamine was to help her sister with the young, all the young kids. Right, right. And it was our good fortune. And you said, uh, do you have any recollections of World War Two? Because obviously it would have been, what, about seven when it ended? Uh, not, not, um, I, w- I would have, um, uh, no, I would have um, known a bit about it you know, at the time, but I think, mm-hmm. uh, well, we didn't, we didn't have a radio, and I'm sure Mum and Dad didn't have the money to be buying newspapers, and they didn't live in, they didn't live close to shops anyway. It was at least a mile walk to the shops in um, yeah. where they lived in um, Barham, and mm-hmm. so I suppose they got the news of the war from. Um, from friends who, who um, maybe had more interest. And, of course, Mum was the most unwarlike person, and Dad also. They, they were not... They, they wouldn't have liked the idea of a war at all. Mm, and, right. um, and I don't remember any particular thing about it I, right. so at all. Just... Right. And uh, were they religiously inclined or not? Dad was an Anglican. That's an interesting story a bit, but he was an Anglican and he had two brothers, uh, Robert and Gerald, and that's how Gerald and myself, we go our names from the the two mm-hmm. uncles. I never met them, but um, uh, I have sisters who met, I think met, well, at least met one anyway. They called him Bobby. Um, mm-hmm. The 
they were Anglican, and I think one, I don't know much about Anglican, but I think the one of them was High Anglican and he um, became a Catholic. The other one, Gerald, when I was a kid, Gerald was the Anglican Bishop of British Honduras. Right. <laughs> um, and That's then, pretty amazing. Yeah. I, That's pretty amazing. Uh, well, it is. Well, it, well, it is an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting family all around. But uh, anyway, he had uh, he had a sister who named Nina who died when she was about nine. Um, and he had an auntie Eve whom I met twice. She came to England to visit mum and dad when I was fairly young. She was a bit of a character. Um, she used to say, mum always told a story again and again and again. Would you like a cup of tea, Eve? Would you like a cup of tea, Eve? I'll have it if it's strong, Marjorie. She always said the same. I'll have it mm-hmm. if it's strong. And in the morning, she would walk out with a jerry in her hand held high. I think it was much safer it was laid down. You wouldn't spill it all over yourself. But anyway, mm. she was, um, she never married. She was probably, you know, um, what a brook's like. She was a bit a bit unusual. Mm. Uh, who else was there? Um, yeah, right. So, so, <laughs> so you would have commenced, with, how old were you when you commenced primary school? I would have been, Either five or six. My birthday's in April, right. so I, mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't just five. I'm pretty right. sure you... I, I might have been yeah. six, or you know, no, coming up to six yeah. anyway when the year started. Right. So, so you had to I, walk to school, I assume. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, we had to walk across the golf links at Barham to to school, and I sort of I thought it was a hell of a long way. I think it was a, probably about a mile. Right, right. And uh, any recollections worth mentioning regarding primary school? Well, I know we had a teacher named... I remember some names of people's names. It's funny, I've got a good memory for some things. Not so mm. good now, but I had a teacher named Miss Middle Miss, <laughs> which I've never, <laughs> ever heard. I've never, ever heard of that name again, Middle Miss. Yeah. And there were people there called Muxworthy, and I've never come right. across that name anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, and right. then we had neighbours, I remember the names of neighbours like Beats and the name of people who are now, there's a large family around Coldstream, and they were, my mum's best friend was, was um, I can't think of the surname, but those that family came to Coldstream and there's about 10 in the family and I got to meet, through being in the Historical Society, I got to meet one of them, um, mm. one of that family and, um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, and that's how I found out that they were all around Coldstream and I, I don't think I've met them all but they were a large family. And it turned out that the mother of the one I knew, 
who was a next door neighbour at Barham was probably you know at least a couple of hundred metres at least a couple of hundred metres away from our home. Um, mm. She and Mum were best friends. That lady, and then I met her daughter. You know, whatever you know, eighty, sixty or eighty years know. later or something. In um, when I was a bit at Yarra so how old were you when you left primary school? We would have left... Um, now, I don't know exactly, but we left in roughly in 1943. We were, I think about 18 months I might have gone to school there. And then... Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, 1943, what did I start, what did I start school in? In uh, 43, so... Maybe a bit later, 44. Um, so what? Um, <laughs> you finished about Sorry. 19. 40, you would have finished about well, 1949. I, I can tell you a bit that'll sort it out. We went to Bar- we went we went from there to White Hills in Bendigo, and we lived right. out of this, out of town. It was in the country, but it was on the edge of Bendigo at White Hills, which was. It would have been a suburb, suburb then, but where we were was was not not suburban. The houses were scattered, and mm. um, we were there when the war ended. I remember they said the war's over. It was about eleven o'clock or something. Okay, you can all go home, and we all took off. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I particularly remember that, um, and then that, and then. We moved from there to Yarra Junction in February, um, February 1946. Any reason your your family was moving around? Were they renting? Yes. Or? No, the, no, there is a reason, I think. My opinion is that mum um, needed to be near people, more people. She was stuck... Well, at Barham, I mean, she had a friend, but but really only, uh, you know, probably one or two friends. And then she went to um, to White Hills, and she wouldn't have had many friends there either, because she's pretty, in both cases, she's a bit isolated. And I think she wanted to get to, back to living uh, either in Melbourne or closer to Melbourne, where there were more people. Yeah. That's what yeah. I think about why they moved. And she'd grown up in Melbourne, so she'd lived in Melbourne until she was um, in her late 20s when she would have gone to um, up to the sisters uh, on and off and then met Dad. Um, right. Well, he, Did you think... no, yeah. he came to Australia in 1929 mm. um, and, and he... He was a bit lucky to meet Mum because they were married. Uh, oh no, they just married till 1935. That's right. So she was 31. Well, I'll, I'm gonna get myself a bit mixed up here, but that's all right. Let's 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 let's, let's, move, let's move away from from there. Uh, did you get to high school, or did you have to leave at the end of primary school? Me? Yes. No, no. Not long before I turned. Um, what, roughly 10, 
1950, I started high school at Lilydale, and it wasn't long before that that they had a bus, and you could pay. if you went on the bus, you could get to Lilydale if you could get in there. There weren't a lot of spare spaces, but if you had the money to pay for the bus from Euro Junction to Lilydale, um, uh, you you went on the bus. And my friend, who became my brother-in-law, and still is, he. Um, they they decided to make that a free bus. So he he was at Lidl High School. Well, I started there in 1950. Well, he'd gone. He's six years older than me, so he'd gone from yeah. there. But that's why he went to Lilydale. And then I went to Lilydale from 1950, uh, high school, 50 to 53. I was bored. I think I was bored silly at school. And I wanted to get out. My mum and dad didn't have any spare money with all of us to look after. And I just wanted to earn money, a bit different to now. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and I couldn't wait to uh, leave school and get a job. And I left school virtually on my 15th birthday. I was, right. You could leave at 14, but I was there till I was 15. But I was young. I was young in my class. I was a bit in the younger, in the younger lot. So, what did you end up doing after leaving high school? Well, I've had many, many different jobs. I've, um, um, I'm what they used to call in the old days, used to call a, a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And there really none. wasn't yeah. anything. Um, that I was qualified to do and I for a long time I regretted that I'd left school because it was a silly move I should have stayed at school but mum didn't have uh, mum left school at the 8th grade and her mm-hmm. writing was what you call copper plate mm-hmm. and dad's English and writing and everything they were very good because he'd been he'd been sent to a boarding school and he hated school and so as he had no father, and I think his mother obviously had money, and he hated school, so he didn't push me to stay at school, and they didn't... They, if they'd have thought about it very much, they, it's a wonder they didn't try a bit harder to keep me at school. But And mm-hmm. Mum was the same. She left school at the eighth grade, but she was very good at school, and um, and she didn't... She said, if you've... As long as... What did she say? Um... Anyway, she didn't value for me staying at school. She didn't say, you really should stay at school. Right. What did you start off doing, Bob? What did you start off doing? I got a... Well, you make me laugh, but I got a job with uh, what was called a PMG. I was going to be a... Well, I I think I would have started off delivering telegrams, whatever they call that a junior postal yeah, officer or something like that yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1953. And my mum, being the way she was, there was a local job in a hardware store and she did not want me to go into Melbourne and pay £6.10 a week for board um, when I could be living at home with her, which is what she wanted. Um, mm. And I, it would have taken all my pay to pay my board. So... She right. said to me, you should apply for this job. Um, and I didn't... No, I, I, well, then I don't know. I know I had to... I know I applied 
I played for it twice. I got it. I got it the second time, but I think the, they gave it to somebody, and he he left, and I then I got the job. But anyway, it turned out that I didn't go to Melbourne until I was about nineteen. I went to Melbourne and worked for McPherson's um, Engineering, all the engineering yeah. and all that stuff. Heaps of that was a big, big crowd. It's a big place, McPherson's. Yeah, was that a unionised shop? At McPherson's? Hmm. Not that I'm aware of. No, no. They were they were good to work for. They kept people on in the depression, and they gave you a watch after 25 years. They gave you a gold watch, I think it was. So, yeah. I think. I think they were good and they had a terrific number of people who'd worked there for, you know, forever. Right. And I met a lot of people, um, you know, through working there. And one day I was talking to the the fellow who used to do, handle my insurance at Warburton and mm. I mentioned that person and he said, did you know so-and-so? And I said, yes. Uh, it was a commercial traveller from McPherson's or a rep in Melbourne suburbs, and they said he was a very, a very good friend of Dad's. This fellow, mm. I can't think of his name now, but but there were lots and lots of people at McPherson's. Right. How long did you last? Well, <laughs> I'm a bit of a, a bit of a traveller. I'm a bit like my mum, a bit of Irish, I think. I left there, I think I was only there. Now I'd have to think mm. about this to get it really accurate, but I think I was only there seven months. And I used to be the job. Hey? So you didn't I get used... your gold watch? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think I'm right that I was only there seven months because they said oh, there was a job in the paper and I saw. No, this is, that was... Doesn't have to be exact, Bob. No. Doesn't have to be exact. No. Um, so I assume at that age you thought life was pretty good. Well, definitely, because you could leave a job... <laughs> you could leave a job... It's a bit different to today. You could leave a job on Friday and start somewhere else on Monday. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you'd go down to the local. Yeah. You'd go down to the local. In, when I was young, you'd go down to the local industrial estate and you'd knock on factory doors. And uh, by the afternoon, you'd have a job and you'd be starting to work that next morning. Yeah, you're quite right. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no aptitude uh, test. I can't think what I did. Um, oh, look! It doesn't matter. Everything. It doesn't no. matter, Bob. So you, you, no, did, you, did, you did a whole variety of jobs. I, I know what it is. I know what it is. I didn't go to McPherson's um, until I was 19. So then I went um, to a job with, it was called Fisheries and Game then. But before that, um, I, was, I can't just think straight off what I was doing. Um, no, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really matter. I'll just, no. you, did a, you did a whole series of jobs. When do, you, right. when, do you, when do you think you started uh, uh, waking up politically? Because I've known you, the time I've known you, I've known you as a, as a political animal, you know, an activist. Yeah. And, 
and a radical. So when do you think things started to change for you in that direction? Um, when I went um, in the early 60s, my brother, Gerald, and my and his friend from Yellow Junction, they were friends more or less from when they met uh, soon after we got to Yellow Junction. Now, when we got to Yellow Junction, when I was only seven, so Joel was only nine. Well, it wasn't long after that that he met Bob Morrison, who lived up the road. Um, and then they, when they... Bob Morrison was an electrical mechanic on the railways and apprentice, and, and then when my brother... Oh yeah, Bob Morrison. That's right. He wanted to, he wanted to travel around Australia and work as he went. So he started off, and he started off with a, a local friend. And when they got to Sydney, that was their first port of call. And the fella, the friend, um, met a woman and married. And so Bob came back to Yarra Junction, and Gerald by that time had finished his apprenticeship as a motor mechanic so they headed off went in due course they didn't do anything overnight in a rush and they headed off um, they went to Tassie first they put a car on the old I think it was called Taruna went to Tassie and stayed there for three months or something then they went to uh, Adelaide and worked for six months and then they went to Darwin and then they um they went from Darwin. Anyway, back to Melbourne. And then in about the early 60s, they went to work in Brisbane. And I joined them. I was at a loose end. I'd been travelling with a friend. And I went and joined them in in um, Brisbane. And Bob Morrison was six years older than me. And we hadn't... We'd, we'd always got on a ride. But we, you wouldn't call us friends. We didn't really talk to each other much but I got to find out through him that things like they were both able to go and see Paul Robeson um, singing to the workers in Brisbane um, either, either Brisbane or, the, or, or no, it wouldn't have been Sydney where the Opera House, it would have been in Brisbane I'm pretty sure that Gerald would have seen Paul Robeson and Gerald, Gerald wasn't um, well, he was a political animal, but you didn't. He didn't talk about it. You didn't know. But by getting to know Bob, then I found out a lot of things, and I sort of woke up that you know the world wasn't quite the sort of free and easy um, life to be enjoyed that I had um, up until that time as what I'd been doing, just enjoying myself. Mm -hmm. And then I got a bit stirred up and. And of course, Bob's father um, was a, certainly a political person, and so exactly. Robbie was the same. He was. Um, so, so you said you said you were stirred up. So, is there a particular issue that got you stirred up? Or no, no. Experiences? Or... No, I remember he had a thing there where he asked a question. This was news to me. I forget who was behind it, but they asked there were a lot of questions, and it and it turned out that so right, well, you are sort of you're sort of in the middle, but a bit on the left side, or you're a, you know you were 
Well, it would have said, you know, you're a right winger, you're you're an extreme left winger. So I was, I was, at that stage, I was um, pretty well in the middle with left tendencies, and I, I don't think I'd ever thought about it before that, and I can't remember what this, you know, what was behind this. But that's one thing I do remember that we're talking to him about, um, and he he was brought up. Oh, he was an apprentice in the railway, so he met all sorts of people and lots of good people who were not just your old liberal voting. Um, see, mm-hmm. Sadly with me, my mum was what you would call a two-bob capitalist because she she wasn't starving and they always had their own home. They didn't pay rent. That's one thing mm-hmm. with both mum and dad. They did not believe. They thought... Paying rent was like throwing in money in the fire, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So um, she, um, so she liked. Um, she didn't talk about politics at all, but she liked the Liberal Party because uh, Robert Menzies, as we all know, spoke very well, and the mm-hmm. Labor fellas they'd grown up in the, you know in the, in the real world, and they said, you know, we're going to do this. And we're going to do that, and she was impressed. Mm-hmm. She she was impressed with the the well spoken people, but she didn't understand. She didn't know the difference between you know labour and capital and and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. His dad did, but he was very quiet about it. He was very reserved. England, when he had this little orange place up in in Durham, um, the locals must have thought, where is this fella come from? He was just so different from them and so quiet and so well-spoken. Well, and he had a... At one stage, he had a T-model Ford. Now, I don't remember them. I was only a baby or even before I was born. And he also had an old Capital Chev, and I think he needed mm-hmm. them to cut his oranges around um, right. to where they had to go and things like that. But, yeah, let's um, just get back to you. Let's get, let's get back to you, Bob. So... Yeah. Did you take part in the moratorium movement, or did that just... Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yes, I was well and truly... Oh, yes, even my dad went with me to to Vietnam moratoriums, um, Mm -hmm. Jim Cairns and stuff like that. uh, See, one thing that happened, my mother had a... um, and an elderly neighbour in we lived in Mont Albert when they went from Yarra Junction in nineteen fifty nine Mont Albert and she had an elderly friend there who gave me copies of the Beacon the, you know, from the Unitarian Church and that really yeah. got me fired up because I was reading about the Vietnam War and so mm-hmm. I straight away started to go to that church and hear Victor James talk about um uh, about Vietnam and so on, and also, I don't know. Do you remember the name Dr. Peter Russo? Yes. Well, he was a very good friend of Victor James. He lived across the road. If you looked across the road, there was a brown brick um, building, and and Peter Russo had a unit, uh, uh, probably about it was only about three floors of that place, and he Victor Russo lived up there. So. The Unitarian Church new building, which is the one I went to, was opened by Peter Russo. So I was impressed because my dad listened to ABC radio. That was a very good thing about Dad. I was 10 when they got a radio, 
and mm. they always listened. Dad was interested in current affairs, and they would hear someone we didn't like, which was H.S.D. Black, but we also heard Peter Russo occasionally and mm. different other ones. See, the ABC, as you say, it's gone absolutely backwards because in not, at 23 minutes past one each work, weekday, they had a news commentary and Peter Russo would be on every now and again every six weeks or something. Mm. And at night for five minutes at, at uh, seven o'clock, at five to seven, they had a news commentary. So they had notes on the news in the middle of the day. This is ABC Radio, what uh, we used to call 3AR, um, mm. and the news commentary at night. So with all that and... and um, with the old beacon and going to the Unitarian Church, you know, I was really fired up when when I got to know about the Vietnam War and what was going on there. And I've got a lot of books. I've still got books from, that I bought then. From, yeah. So what, what did you move on after the moratoriums? Is there anything uh, that uh, interested you in terms of political action? Um think about that one. Well, were you involved in the anti-apartheid movement or this? No, I knew about all this. And see, living, now where have I got to work out where I was living? If I was living, um, Mm. I lived with my mum and dad until I married in 1969, lived in Mont no, I, I'm, isn't it funny? I've sort of caught me thinking well, about... Uh, look, I'll, I'll go backwards a step. Yeah, I'll go backwards. So you got married in 69. Um, yes. Did, I assume that was a... And you'd lived with your mum and dad till then, did you? Till you're 31, on and off. Yes, that's right. Yes, I, yeah. I lived there, right. yes. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and uh, how long did the um, uh, well? Uh, is your wife still alive, or is she? Yes, um, I met her through the Unitarian Church. We were both going to the Unitarian Church, but we hadn't met. We hadn't met, and she was a nurse, so she didn't get there every week, and I probably didn't get there every week either. But but anyway, through a, a good friend there. Uh, he arranged that we meet when she was nursing and she right. was living at uh, Prince Henry's Prince Henry's hospital, uh, nursing home, Prince Henry's yeah. hospital. And um, anyway, that's when we met um, and we were married, oh, something, I don't know, something six, eight months, nine months later, something like that. Um, but we didn't have any kids. We were, we were slow starting, and, and it was right. four years before our eldest son Paul was born. Right. Um, and then we had three in three years, three boys in three years and three months. Right. <laughs> I won't ask why that happened. I won't ask why that happened. <laughs> so what, what, did, what, what did both of you find interesting in the Unitarian Church? I'm sorry, I missed the first bit of that, um, Joe. I, I said, what, what did both of you find of interest in the Unitarian Church? What drew you there? Oh, the, the Vietnam War. Because, 
because right. I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known a lot about it. But as soon as I got that beacon, which was mm-hmm. full of it, you know, because Victor James, Robert Menzies hated right. Victor James because Victor James had lived in China and and uh, he yeah. knew what he was talking about, and then having mate like Peter Russo. Um, yeah. uh, they didn't just vote liberal, and that's you know that's that. Yeah. Um, they are something I was going to say. Yeah, well, I'm just going to ask questions, Bob. Yeah. So I've got about fifteen no, minutes left. Now, do you still have? Do you, do you still associate with the Unitarian Church, or is that association broken down? I still get the beacon. Mm-hmm. I still subscribe to the beacon. I get it every month. Well, not at the moment. Oh, it's still coming. Um, yeah. No, I am, but I, I it's it's too much now to go in there. Right. And also, I, I don't drive, so it, it's it's you, you, to be there at eleven o'clock on a Sunday morning. I would have to, um, I would have to get up very well. The, the first bus doesn't get you there. That's right. You can't get there by eleven o'clock. The first no. bus out of Warburton is not right. early enough to get you to the Unitarian Church by eleven o'clock. But, but, but you still believe in the. But do you still believe in the principles? That's what I'm talking about. Oh, oh, the Unitarian Church? Mm. Oh, definitely. Oh, no, that's a good organisation as far as I'm concerned. I've got... I've still got friends there, but, of course, they've all got old too, like me. Um, Mm. No, I I like that. And I tell you what, I listen on on 3CR. I normally listen if I'm at home, and I'm normally home um, Saturday morning, Unitarian Half Hour, 3CR. Mm-hmm. That's one way of catching up. So, so what are the principles of Unitarianism? What are the principles? Hmm. Well, <laughs> that's what my... I've got two religious sisters and two not religious, and the religious ones don't like it because, um, for a start, you can, you're free to believe... You're free thinking. You can believe what you like. There's no dogma. Um mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, the main thing with the Melbourne Unitarian Church is it's a peace memorial church. It's very much um, anti-war, um, mm-hmm. and all the things that go with it. The things like the, uh, you know, they don't they don't talk about it every week because it's a waste of time in Australia. But the military-industrial complex and all that stuff, um, you, mm-hmm. you couldn't sell that to to anyone who goes to the Unitarian Church, the, the benefits of Australia spending billions and billions and billions on on defence, so-called, when we don't have any enemies. I mean, where's the sense in that? Yeah, I mean, so if, I, if, I remember, if I remember correctly, Bob, the motto is uh, serve humanity, seek the truth. Yeah, speak the, speak the truth and serve humanity. That's the motto, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yep. Yeah, maybe maybe Mr. Trump could uh, could learn it. <laughs> well, that's right. He's pretty good on the telling whoppers, isn't he? So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've I've known you as a big contributor to three uh, CR over the years. When did you first come across Community Radio three CR? I was working for the local council. I worked for them for twenty years on the outdoor staff. Um, and I worked there for exactly 20 years. And one day I was um, 
by myself. I think I was at, I think I was in a truck for work. I could have been in a community bus, but then one or the other, I had the radio on, and Nola Brooks came on um, from 3CR. Now she was married to my brother Gerald. Do mm-hmm. you know Nola? Yes. Well, well, she came on the radio, and that's would have started listening to the Unitarian Church in a in a in a vehicle in a um, um, in a radio in a vehicle, not at home. My mum and dad only listened. They couldn't stand. They could not stand, especially dad, any advertising on the radio. So it was it was ABC and nothing else, nothing else, and. Um, so they only listened to classical music and my mother had a brother who was a, a concert pianist who lived in England, won a scholarship at 16 and never came back except for work one time to accompany somebody but um, his name was William Murdoch. So how many years do you think you've been associated with Police the Art? How many years? Mm, how many decades or years? Um... Well, I worked for the Shire from 75 to 95. Um, uh, at well, least 30 years. Yeah, at least almost 40 years you've been a uh, listener. Have you actually, have actually been interviewed on 3CR before? No. Ah. <laughs> 30-plus years listener, and now you've been interviewed. Oh, that's good. Now, I know another one of your interests is West Papua. Any particular reason why you're interested in the West Papua independence struggle? Um, now, can you ask... I'm sorry, I, I know you're talking about West Papua, but I missed the point of that question. I, I said, uh, I know you're involved with the West Papuan Rent Collective and the West Papuan Independence Struggle. What uh, got you interested in the West Papuan Independence Movement? Um, did you did you hear about it on three CR, or did uh, you knew about it beforehand, or did you mess with West Papuans in Melbourne, or? No, it would be true. I'm pretty sure it would have been through 3CR. Right, right. Yeah. See, it goes back a bit to... See, another thing about that too is that I was involved with um, what the Indonesians were doing in Timor, mm-hmm. you know, and the terrible things that happened there. Um, and Louise Byrne was involved first with... East Timor, and then, uh, and now with West Papua. Mm-hmm. So, um, is, see, the trouble with me now is questions that I, if I haven't um, sort of been warned that I, I to have a bit of a think about these things, to just remember off the cuff. You know, which was right. first or which, 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 you know, it's a bit, yeah. bit when you're 82 and your memory's <laughs> sloppy. 
it gets a bit sloppy, but you're living, you're going to live forever, Bob. You told me so. You better shape up or ship out. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd better work on the memory. Yeah. yeah, you can't you can't live forever and not remember things. No. Um, now I'm going to ask. Look, you've been on the planet a long time. I'm going to ask you some kind of non-specific questions. What do you think wisdom is? Wisdom. Wisdom is a very scarce commodity. Um, I wish... It's no good saying you wish our politicians would show a bit of wisdom because they're not capable of showing wisdom. Wisdom is for people like um, Noam Chomsky and... um, And there's lots of well, lots of wise people in every country, but unfortunately, uh, they don't they don't have much to do, and they're, they're kept away from having a say in things. I mean, you've got Barry Jones here. I mean, he knows all about everything, but mm. can he do anything about any of it? Uh, you know, that's that's what that's what. It makes it very hard. You know what's going on, but but you, except for things like Pixie, you know you're very um, limited in what you can do about anything. Um, and I mean, I should be kicked for not joining it when I first heard about it. But I've only just, as you know, I've only just joined it. So yes, delayed yes. action. That's part of my delayed action. <laughs> well, delayed action is better than no action at all. Well, yeah, that's, it, it, that's true. Yeah. Look, it's very, oh, very I, true. Mm. Sorry. No, I said it's very true by what you're saying. It's uh, difficult to know what to do, where to put your energy, because change is very hard. Yeah, see, the trouble, part of my trouble is that I feel all this. I feel for those people of Gaza. I mean, how can, how can, how can people treat people like that? You know, mm. and what the, now? What's the Palestinian program on a Saturday morning? That's a really good program um, um, on 3CR again Saturday morning at um, 9:30 or whatever it is, and and, um, and it's it's just absolutely horrible, and and the world just looks the other way, and it's the same with West Papua and. And various other places to a greater or lesser degree, and, and it's very hard for people who feel for these people. If you don't, if you don't have any feelings, well, then it's easy. And evidently, the politicians not only do they not have um, much wisdom at all, but they also don't have any feeling for other people. And if you do, if you have feeling for other people, well, the world is a hell of a cruel place. Hell of a cruel place. Mm. Do you think this is a lesson which is imparted to you by your parents or is this something you've learned through experience? I think it's more that you learn it. Um, my, We went to Sunday school. Uh, Gerald and I went to Sunday school till we were 14 and we didn't have to go after that, but we were expected to go before that. And Mum was a Presbyterian and she liked good speakers. Or it's on, I know one named... Gordon Powell, and she liked what he said, but um, uh, but 
appealed to her, but well, Dad didn't really talk about um, uh, politics. My brother, my brother would have. I, so I never talked much to my brother. He was very quiet. He was a, more of a thinker, and not. A, I'm a talker without thinking, and he was the other way around. <laughs> and I'm sure when he was at Sunday school, um, and they tell him things like the the the. Um, the machines played up in Russia because they made them work on the Sabbath. He would have said, oh, what a lot of people, people and poppycock. Right. My brother, I never, ever heard him swear, and I have a son the same. Um, my brother didn't go to church. He wasn't religious, but you never heard him. He had the patience of Job, good mm-hmm. biblical person, and I have a son the same. You will not hear him swear. They just, they don't have any... They've got patience. They don't need to swear. Mm. Right, we've got a, a few more minutes, Bob. Have you got any advice for anybody, a younger younger listeners listening to a Radical Australia? Because you may find this hard to believe we do have the occasional younger listener. Um, well... What Peter Cundall says, never give up what you believe in. See, I'm, I'm, my trouble is I'm, I feel for people, but I don't push, I don't push hard enough. I feel that the, the things I should, I should speak out more. And it's mm-hmm. very important that you, um, uh, let people know what you think. Now, I haven't done that. I've, that's where I've, I've slipped. Um, I just, I suppose it's my makeup. Um, been sort of brought up to not, uh, not upset people and not go around arguing about things. But uh, that's that's not altogether a good way to be. And I feel that I should have. I mean, I've supported, I've supported East Timor for years, and I've supported West Papua, but I haven't. I certainly haven't been outspoken for these causes, and that's that's um, a shame. But then, on the other hand, my brother would have known what was going on, and he didn't like it, but he didn't talk about it at all. So at least people know um, where I'm at with a lot of things, but I just don't go around shouting it out. Mm. Uh, Apart from... Uh, apart from living forever, uh, have you got any plans for the uh, future? Any plans? Mm. For me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very fortunate. I have three sons. I have um, three three sons, um, three daughters-in-law, um, I have f- four, three grandsons and one granddaughter. Um, mm-hmm. They are a, a very large part of the enjoyment of life in my old age, and I just hope they, um, the world doesn't become too, too terrible for them to be able to have an enjoyable life. Now they they are fortunate in that they have good, um, good parents. Um, to give them a good start, as I did. I'm very fortunate, I've always thought I was very fortunate that my mum and dad didn't have a spare 20-cent piece. 
and I think that's something to be thankful for. And money, money is the least important. Time is important. Money is not. And the way the world is driven by money is terrible. Right. Well, Bob, I think on that note, I think it's very wise words. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Robert Eugene Clive Brooks, commonly known as Bob Brooks. And I'm sure many of the listeners to the program will know you and uh, we know a little bit more about you now. So thank you very much for uh, sharing parts of your life with us. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. We've been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program will be podcast in the next few days, and you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Thank you very much, Bob, and um, when you reach 100, give me a call and I'll interview you again, okay? Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.